Half past seven. And um, of course, we're about to talk to Dr. Uh, Joy Sapool, the woman who talks to elephants, telling us about the rumbling giants. So for almost 50 years, National Geographic Explorer has been carefully watching the elephants of Kenya's Amboseli National Park. Over that time, she's gotten to know these animals by name and started decoding their sounds, smells, body language to figure out just what the world's largest land animal is talking about. And she is online uh, to share some insight. A very good morning and a warm welcome to Jet Set Breakfast, uh, Dr. Joyce Poole. Good morning, Bertha. Nice to be here. This is quite an interesting job. Learning, oh, yes. <laughs> learning about elephants. Yes. So, so what prompted you to, to, to study these animals uh, in such in-depth? Well, you know, I grew up in, uh, in, in Kenya and actually spent some years in Malawi as a child. So I was fortunate enough to visit the national parks and uh, in, during holiday, school holidays. And um, then when I was 11 years old, I uh, went to a lecture by Jane Goodall at the you know, National Museum of Kenya and was so inspired by her study of chimpanzees that I decided then that's what I wanted to do when I grew up. And um, coming to, uh, to the animals themselves, so you've started mm-hmm. studying and what triggered you to go even further? Why did you decide to, to <laughs> study elephants? Well, I was offered an opportunity um, when I was 19, uh, and I joined Cynthia Moss in Amboseli National Park, and she gave me the job of getting to know the males in the population. It was early on in her study. Um, And during the the course of, of, of that, I discovered that African elephants come into muff which is a period of heightened aggression and sexual behavior. And, and then I discovered that they were producing a sound that was barely audible. Um, and when they were very aggressive, and that seemed strange to me, that such a huge animal that was um, threatening me would make a sound that I could barely hear instead of a very powerful one. So... Together with Katie Payne, we discovered that elephants um, produce sound below the level of human hearing. Um, not some, but some of the calls, these are the rumbling calls that we talk about. You know, people used to talk about them being tummy rumbles, but of course they're not produced in the, in the stomach at all. They're produced in the larynx. But because elephants are so enormous, they can produce these very low frequency sounds. So some of the rumbles are completely inaudible to us, and some of them are, are very, very powerful um, and can travel, you know, many, well, several kilometers. So I became really interested in how they were using these rumbling um, sounds to communicate with one another and... Um, you know, what they were in a sense saying to one another and and found that depending on the context and depending on who was calling and to whom, the the rumbling sounds they made were were 
quite different from one another. Wow. And, and I, we, you know, we often look at elephants, they're so intimidating. They are huge. And, and all of a sudden, you know, from a human perspective, you almost feel like, you know, it can attack at any time. What prompts an elephant to, to, to attack? <laughs> yeah, some elephants are incredibly gentle and some are, as you say, you know, very, uh, very intimidating and terrifying. I've, I've worked actually in, in many different places, in, in Amboseli the most, but I've also worked in Gorongosa in Mozambique, and there the elephants, um, you know, 90% of the population was killed during the civil conflict. Uh, and there they just really don't, don't like people very much, and they have a good reason to. So uh, there they've kind of developed, in a sense, a, a culture of aggression. And uh, so, you know, the, the, the communication that goes on as they plan to attack is just extraordinary and quite different from, from what we observe in Amboseli, where elephants are completely relaxed around vehicles. So I know that in, in Southern Africa or in South Africa also there's uh, quite, um, been quite a lot of incidents with elephants attacking vehicles. So I think a lot has to do with their historical experience mm. and and how they learn from one another. And I hear, is it is it true? We often hear that, you know, an elephant has a memory that can go on for a long time. Like, for instance, if you do something to an elephant and you succeed escaping, the next time it, it, it meets you again, it will kind mm. of like remember. Is that a myth or is that, is that, is that no, true? No, they do have very good, very good memories, yes. I had um, an elephant uh, that I sort of became, in a sense, friends with, and I hadn't seen him for, I think it was something like 16 years, and was back in the park and saw him and called out to him. And not that he knew his name, but he knew my voice, and he came right over to the car and, and actually let me touch him again. So, you know, he remembered, he certainly remembered me. Mm. And, you know, you know, for, for interesting enough, some years back right here in, in, in South Africa at the Kruger National Park, uh, there was a, a, a herd of elephants that um, had a, a, a bull, which was a father figure. And at, um, at, they, ha- they removed the father figure and the younger, there was one younger bull that just became rampant and they had to go and find, um, you know, the... the, the the, the older bull to come and harness the younger bull. Does does it work <laughs> like that? Is is you know, I thought I thought it was like maybe people are making up stories here. Uh, was that maybe in Pilanisburg rather than Kruger? No, Pilanisburg, a, yes. I beg your pardon, in Pilanisburg. Yeah. So so what happened with that was that there were Pilanisburg was in a sense populated with some of the cull orphans. So a, a whole lot of the young very young elephants who'd witnessed this very traumatizing event of their parents being, their mothers being killed, and were then just dumped in Pilanisburg without, without any role models. Um, and so when the young males grew up, they, uh, and they started coming into musk, this period of sexual behavior uh, at around, you know, puberty, 
then, in, you know, in, they started behaving really strangely. They'd had, you know, they hadn't had any role models. There weren't any older males to keep them from coming into must. So older males can suppress must in younger males. So I was actually involved in that, um, in trying to solve the problem, because I, could, I suggested that they maybe could bring in some big males from Kruger who would then suppress must and and that worked so it it because they were killing rhinoceroses they were attacking vehicles and things whoa so what have you learned what have you learned about elephants what what have they taught you <laughs> they've taught me a lot i couldn't begin to, to to tell you everything in a short conversation but no i think i mean they're you know in a sense they're very like us um they they live in these uh, very tight-knit families, uh, but their families, again, like ours, are not together all the time. They split up and come together, and they have to have means of contacting one another when they're apart, and they have uh, ways of celebrating when they come back together. Um, you know, and the longer they've been apart, the the louder the celebration is. Uh, they rumble and trumpet and been around touching one another um they have they have uh, these uh, contact calls that can be um that they can you know they can they can recognize one another's voices from up to close to two kilometers apart and so that helps them to find one another again and they have uh, calls that you know mean I want to go this way, let's go together. So they can indicate to one another where they want to go. They can make plans. They can discuss a plan. They can agree to disagree and go their separate ways. And so, and, um, mm-hmm. Yes, no, no, go ahead. No, but just saying, well, you know, in, in one sense, we've learned a lot. But in another sense, we're just beginning to scratch the surface, I think, and in what, um, you know, we're hoping to use, for instance, uh, artificial intelligence to start analyzing the many calls that we've recorded. And hopefully that will give us even more insight into exactly what, what elephants are able to say to one another, because we can see by their behavior that they do some very intelligent things. So, is, is I believe that communication is even more sophisticated than 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 we think. Wow. Now. I've, I've learned a thing or two, and I think we ought to respect uh, because I think we take it for granted as human beings just because they're elephants and they're not communicating the way we communicate. We just think they're animals, and yet they do have a proper full life of their own. They do. Well, uh, Dr. Joyce Paul, thank you so much for joining us and, and uh, taking our call all the way in Norway. And uh, hopefully in the near future, you can uh, keep educating us about these animals. <laughs> I'll try. Thank you so much for joining us on Jet Set Breakfast. Oh, thank you, Bertha. Bye for now. That's, <laughs> bye, bye. Uh, bye. That's Dr. Joyce uh, Poole, co-founder and uh, co-director of Elephants Voices and has done extensive research and um, extensive study on elephants and how they operate, how they communicate. Uh, the next time you are in an area that has elephants, just be cognizant of not triggering them, you know, to do strange things because... 
uh, when you do or when you present an attack behavior, oh my goodness, they can go rampant on you. So this is one thing we have learned. Just be as kind and as as cognizant as possible. When we get back, we still have some more interesting conversations to, to, to do. Uh, we are going to talk about pre-eclampsia, talking to Dr. Vuyo Makanya, uh, gynecologist and obstetrician, when we get back.